Hello, ACC. Today's scripture reading is from 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 to chapter 2, verse 2. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. This is the word of the Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask for his blessing. Father, we come before your holy word. Lord, may we experience your presence. We know that you are here because you meet especially with your people as they congregate to worship you. Open our hearts, open our ears, open our eyes so that we may fully experience the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and that we are able in turn to worship you for all the goodness that you are. We thank you, God. Please be with me. Be with the congregation, and may your word transform us. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The question that we are going to concern ourselves with today is simply, are you, are we walking in the light? Are we walking in the light? And this is a real important question that we need to answer for ourselves, and we need to answer it through reading the book of John. Now, there's a contingent of you that might think, what in the world are you talking about? What kind of question is that? Are you walking in the light? And I agree, it's a weird question. And if you don't think it's a weird question, I dare you to ask your coworker or friend, are you walking in the light? I'm sure they'll give you a weird face expression. But why this question is important is because we need to know these answers for our comfort and for our peace of mind. And why do we need to know these things? It's because often people try to tell us what it means to walk in the light. They try to fill our minds with different things of what it means to be a Christian, of what it means to be in a fellowship with God. Just to provide some context, the Apostle John is writing this letter to a community. Now, we are unsure if it's just one church or many churches, but he's writing to a community that we think has gone through a church split. Now, how do we know that? If you read the whole book of 1 John or the whole letter of 1 John, you see that there were some people who were once with them and now are no longer with them, and that this has caused a division with the church and the people are feeling vulnerable. And people are needing some sense of comfort, some sense of reprieve. 
So the Apostle John writes this letter to these people so that they may know that Jesus loves them. That they may know that they are not in the wrong, that those other people are in the wrong, but they have followed the right path. That they are walking in the light. My objective today is simply this, is to explain what it means to walk in the light. It's simply to explain and to encourage you to continue walking in the light. And for those of you who are not walking in the light, it is my hope that you would find it compelling to do so. And so that is my objective, just to simply explain what it means to walk in the light and for everyone to feel encouraged as they continue on this walk. So John begins by saying in verse 5, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light. Um, I just want to speak a little bit more about the Apostle John. John drops a lot of phrases like this. God is light. Now, no one usually knows what this means. The, the other uh, people who write the Bible, they go, this is the history. Let me explain it to you. This is the logic. But if you read more of the book of John, he just drops these um, impregnated sentences that we don't know how to handle, such as God is light. And if you read and if you, uh, Lord willing, go and study uh, the scriptures more, you'll see that John has a, a skill set that is unlike any other. Because he actually writes in three genres of the New Testament. And how many genres are there? There's only three. There's prophetic literature, the letters, and the Gospels. So he's one of the Gospels. We have 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And he is the author of the book of Revelation. It's amazing how he's able to bring all these concepts together and how to write in these specific genres. Saying that, why am I explaining all this to you? Because John is often has loaded sentences that he brings to us, but his, his intention is always that it would bring us to the practical. And so I am going to take us into John's ark. And for a little bit, we'll be in the spiritual realm, and you'll be like, whoa, you're kind of losing me, but I promise I'm going to try to do what John does and bring us back to where it's real and give us application so we understand what it means to be in the light. That's a disclaimer. I may or may not do it. So we come and we say God is light, and what does this mean? Does this mean that God is made up of photons? Does this mean that God is a wave or a particle? No, it doesn't mean any of those things. Oftentimes, people get lost in these analogies. What is God? What does it mean when we say God is light? Well, it really helps that if you read what God, if you read God is light in its context. If we look at verse 6, it says this. If we say we have fellowship with him. And so this analogy that God is light means or should be interpreted in the lens of covenant. In the lens of relationship, God in relationship with his people is light, which means that his people are darkness. That is how we need to view it. God is light and his people are darkness. But as they come into relationship together, what happens? When you put darkness and light together, what wins out? Light does. Light eradicates the darkness. Light overpowers the darkness. So in this text, 
John is saying God is the light. We are the darkness. God is overpowering us. We are becoming more and more like God. That's what it means when we say God is light. We are declaring at the same time that we are darkness. And being in relationship with God means that we are becoming more and more like him and not the other way around. There is always a temptation to make God in our own image, but God is so much superior, so much stronger than us that his people begin to look more and more like him. That's why in verse 6, John says this, If we say we have fellowship with him, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice truth. There is no way you can be in relationship with God and still be yourself. There's no way you can be in the light and still exude darkness. That is why John is saying that anyone who says that they have a relationship with God, they don't become more individualistic. They actually become more and more in the image of God. And we see who God is in all of the Old Testament, correct? We see that God is the God of wisdom. God is the God of truth, goodness, justice, love, and mercy. And it is when we are in relationship with God that we better, we better understand those things and we are able to execute those things much, much better. But I still have not answered the question, what does it mean to be in the light? How do we become more and more like God? John begins answering the question in verse 7. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, meaning we have fellowship with God. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. It's one verse, but we can impact that for days. But essentially what John is saying is that when you are in fellowship with God, what is happening is that your darkness is being eradicated through the blood of Jesus Christ. The power in which you are in fellowship with God is powered solely through the blood of Jesus. The death on the cross the life that you need is all found in Jesus Christ. The power to be cleansed from all sin is only found in one single place. That is in the blood of Jesus. And it's a mystery. It's a mystery to understand this notion. This is where John is taking us in the spiritual. We are in this mysterious realm where our trajectory of our life is going towards becoming more like God. And those who are not in the blood of Jesus are on a trajectory towards darkness and death. This is the truth that John wants to convey. The only analogy that I can think of, think of is what I've seen in the hospital. As we look at two patients, we see one who's beat up unable to talk, unable to do anything, can't really function, yet the doctor is comfortable saying this patient is going to make a full recovery. 
It's a mystery. On the outside, it doesn't look like it, but the ark, the, the, the mysteriousness of how the blood and how the internal system works, this person is going to make a full recovery, and though it looks bad right now, there is no reason to fear. The power of death does not loom over this patient. Yet you see those patients who can laugh with you, talk with you, smile with you, and when you ask the doctor, how is this patient doing? What they say is, this person has terminal cancer. The trajectory is death. And though on the outside, it may look like one is better than the other, in reality, there is this mysterious power behind this person who seems to be dead, but is truly on towards a trajectory of life. And this is what John is saying. In this spiritual realm, we are in this trajectory where sin and death no longer have power over us. Though we may not look like God, there is a trajectory in the spiritual realm which means we will become like God. We will have eternal life and it is solely because of the blood of Jesus. Walking in the light means you have accepted and understood the work and person of Jesus Christ. And it is through that notion, it is through that understanding, you are walking in the light. But it's still kind of out there, spiritual, right? I told you, John is... In a way, in one sentence, he takes us to those heavenly realms, but he will also bring us back down. So what does this mean for us practically? Is there anything that we can do? And he says, yes, spiritually, if you understand that Jesus Christ has died for you, if you understand that you have been cleansed by the power of Jesus, then this is what happens, verse 9. Verse 9 parallels verse 7. And they, are supposed, and they are to be seen walking side by side together. So verse 7 says this, But if we walk in the light, what does that mean in our terms? Verse 9, If we confess our sins. John becomes immensely practical. How do you know that you're walking in the light? You confess your sins to God. The mark of a person who is walking in the light and who is in true fellowship with God is confession. You're able to confess your sins to God. And I want to take this time to talk about what confession is. Because there's oftentimes a misunderstanding of what confession is. Confession is not simply saying, I'm sorry. But that's how we understand it. As long as I say, sorry, I've confessed my sins. But no, the Bible teaches us that confession is so much more. So what is it? First, yes, it's an acknowledgement that you have done wrong. But it's not only that. There is a deep hatred and disdain for the sin that you have committed. And third, there is a turning away from that sin. So there's a profession. There's a hatred for that sin, and there's a desire to turn from that sin. And this works its way out, not, not even with God, but with one another, right? 
Have you ever tried to apologize in this manner where you say, I'm so sorry, and the person catches on and says, what are you sorry for? And you say, I don't know. Has that ever worked for anybody? Definitely has never, ever worked for me. So a confession is not simply saying, I'm sorry. And I know when we have our worship service, we have to confess our sins. And I know most of the times, we only have a minute, so you go, God, I'm a sinner, I'm sorry. And if God were to ask, what for? You'd be like, I can't really tell you right now, but I know I'm a sinner. And that's appropriate sometimes, but for us as a Christian who is walking in the light, we need to confess our private and particular sins to God, and we need to hate it. Now, this is not going to change over the course of a day or a week. But we prayed to God that we would learn to hate our sin. Because many of you are probably in sin, but think, I know it's bad, but really, it's not that bad. And that's dangerous. That's dangerous. You are more walking towards the darkness than in the light. The confession of sin is a deep sorrow for the sin and turning away. And I also want to touch upon the issue of sin. What is sin? When I say confess your sins, our mindset is to say, have I done anything wrong lately? But God speaks that there is more than just doing things wrong. The nature of sin is that you are disobeying the word of God. And we will read in the next chapter... Pastor David will preach on it, but we will see that God gives us a commandment. I could have easily titled this message, Walking in the Light, Part 1. Because walking in the light, Part 2, means that you will come to obey the commandment of Jesus, which is to love one another. Do you know that is the greatest commandment a Christian has? To love one another. If you do not love one another, you are in sin. And we say, how is it possible that we're in sin? And I'll take this time to address and see how this works on a larger scale. I just came back from General Assembly. Uh, That is the big congregational, not congregational, the big meeting of all the pastors who are in the Presbyterian Church in America. And one of the hot topics that we have there is racial reconciliation. We look around and says, do we have a race problem in our denomination? And I think we do. We do have a race problem, but it gets often heated, as probably, probably most of you are in some kind of dialogue or have witnessed some dialogue of that sort. But I think how we have framed the dialogue is extremely unhelpful. Because oftentimes we're talking about race in terms of hate. People will call and point fingers at one another and say, you are racist. But people say, I'm not racist. I hate nobody. But if the church took the heed of Jesus seriously, we would say, but we don't love either. We don't love. And that is a sin, brothers and sisters. For me, I had to dig deep into my own soul. And what I realized is this. For this church, I don't hate anybody. I don't hate anybody here. If you think I did, I don't. And I like all of you. 
I do. I enjoy your presence. I enjoy talking to you. I enjoy conversing with you. But when it comes to the commandment, do you love this brother and this sister? I still have to answer with, in theory, yes. In theory, yes, I do love you. But in practicality, I don't. I sin. I fall short. And this is a sin I need to confess. And not just me, a sin that we all need to confess. What would it look like if we followed the commandments of Jesus and we loved our brothers and our sisters? The race problem is not simply that people hate one another. Within our churches, it's that we do not love one another. Let me put it to you this way. If someone put $100 in front of me and a person said, I want you to split this with another person, a church member at ACC, this is what I would probably do if no one was watching. I would say, I would like to have the 100 and that person have zero. And why? Is it because I hate the other person? No. It's because I love myself more. That is not an act of hate that I'm doing. That is a lack of love that I am showing. Huge difference. And so when we begin to talk about walk, walking in the light and we talk about confessing our sins, we have to see what Jesus has instructed us. And he has instructed us that you need to love your brother and your sister. And if we fail to do that, we are in sin. But that is not the end of it. For in verse 9, we have the good news. Verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. Do you see that? That is a beautiful sentence. There is no exception clause. There is no caveat of confessing our sins. It's not if you confess only these sins or if you confess this sin at this time. Simply, if you confess your sins, no strings attached, he will forgive you. Amazing. He will forgive you of your sins and he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What does that mean? That means he will take away the power of sin that is preventing you to love one another. He will take the sin away that is preventing you from loving God fully. It is through the blood of Jesus Christ that all this darkness is being washed away. Brothers and sisters, you see why it is so important to understand the gospel. Because it is only in the blood of Jesus that this sin can become eradicated. Now, if you are not convinced after that argumentation, you may say, I still don't believe you. I don't have anything to confess. I'm not that bad or I, I do love pretty well. John gives this great argument and says, well, if you say you don't have any sin, then you make God a liar. We are all sinners. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. Everybody is a sinner. And remember, when you say you are no longer a sinner, you attack the gospel. 
Essentially what you are telling God is, God, I know you're sitting your son, Jesus Christ. I know that he died on the cross, but I didn't need it. Thanks, though. Thanks for killing your son for me, but I don't need it. It's a mockery towards God. You call God a liar. God cannot assess the situation. God doesn't know you. You know yourself more. You, obviously, during that moment, are living in the darkness. So we must confess our sins. Now, most times the sermon ends there, but I don't know about you, but I don't like listening to sermons where I'm just told I'm a sinner. Maybe you do, and we'll talk later. But here these two verses are added. John says, my little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. The whole purpose of this letter is so that you would stop sinning. And it's brilliant. How do you stop sinning? You have to know the sin. You cannot eradicate the sin. You cannot ask God to change you if you do not know what the sin is. In any relationship, you cannot repair the relationship. If you simply say, I'm sorry, and they say, what did you do wrong? And you say, I don't know. You're going to keep doing that same thing. So this whole purpose is so that we would be, prevent, that we would be prevented from sinning. But John knows this very well. And he adds the next verse, verse 2. He says, but if anyone does sin. But if anyone does sin, and he's talking to you and me, when we do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. The time of confession is not to whip ourselves over the back. It's not to feel low about ourselves. It's not to count the failures that we have done. Simply, our confession is a time to drive us back to Jesus Christ himself. When you ask for the confession of sin, who are you praying to? Who are you praying to when you confess your sins to God? You are confessing your sins to Jesus Christ. We are reminded that when we say we are not perfect, we are reminded that we have an advocate with the Father. He is with the Father. He is at the right hand and he is speaking truth to the Father saying, I know that person has sinned, but Father, listen to me. This person is your beloved. He is mine. She is mine. And John emphasizes that Jesus Christ is righteous. And that too should also bring us great comfort. We are not praying to some weak God. We are not praying to a weak creature. We are praying to someone who is righteous, who is able to give us the forgiveness of sins that we need. Let's just say for a moment that you have $30,000 in loans. And I, Pastor Jeffrey, come up to you and say, your loans are forgiven. And you would say, what are you talking about? Get out of here. And why would you say that? And you would be right to say that because I have no power to forgive that loan. I have no power to forgive that debt. But yet if the bank came and said, and said your loan is forgiven, now there's power and there's truth to that. 
And so when Jesus says you are forgiven when you confess your sins, that means you are truly forgiven of your sins. And not only are you forgiven, but that righteousness that is Christ is now yours and you have the power and ability to love. The confession of sin is a great, tremendous practice for us all. Because it continually drives us back to the one who matters the most. It is the great advocate, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Though it may hurt, though you may mourn, though you may be sad because of this sin, ultimately how you should come out from that confession is a sense of pure hope and joy because the power of Jesus is real and you are in it. The blood of Jesus is in you, and you are in that realm, and you are walking in that light. Brothers and sisters, this is what it means to walk in the light. It means that you are Jesus' forever, that you have his righteousness. And how do you know that you're in the light? You confess your sins boldly and gladly. Because we have an advocate who will forgive we have an advocate who will love. So brothers and sisters, let us continue to walk in the light. And the way we continue to walk in the light is by confessing our sins to God, holding strongly to the hope of the gospel, knowing that we are loved forever and our trajectory is eternal life in heaven. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you. Father, be with us. Help us to continue walk, to help us to continue to walk in the light. Let us confess our sins. Let us confess to one another. And Father, let us learn to love one another. We confess that we do not always do this. But we know because of your son, Jesus Christ, we have a fighting chance. We thank you, God. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.